0: The Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast, the first since that remarkable fortnight at Wimbledon that has brought significant change, you have to say, to the world order. I'm Seb Lozier, and over the next little while, we will be reflecting on that, and also throwing forward to Hamburg and the USA hardcourt season with Kevin Anderson, runner-up at Wimbledon, Roger Federer, the man he beat in the quarterfinals, Dominic Team, Kena Shikori, Steph Sitsipas. Sasha Zverev and others and all that in the company of Claire Curran, former Fed Cup player who's worked with a number of British players over the years and was at Wimbledon as a commentator, Claire, both for TV and radio. And uh, first of all, how are you? What a fortnight it was, eh?
1: It was an amazing fortnight. I'm lucky I've had a couple of days just to recover from it because just so much happened in those two weeks. So many great matches, great to see the resurgence of Djokovic at the end of it and how he finished off Wimbledon. It was a great couple of weeks, exhausting, but because there were so many long matches as well. Highlight for you? There wouldn't be one highlight. I mean, the f- the match in the quarterfinals, Nadal against Del Potro, that was probably one of the best matches that I've seen in Wimbledon, and then obviously those two epic semi-finals. Um, but I think it's just the fact that seeing Djokovic now come back mm. and he's he's starting now again to challenge those top two, Federer and Nadal. That's going to make things really interesting for the rest of the summer.
0: Yeah, and how significant is that, do you think, to to the real top bracket of the game that he is now Back and really looks like he wants to be back too.
1: It was the fact that he got back so quickly, having got to the final of Queen's Club. He looked good at Queen's, but he wasn't quite there. And you know, Commentators, and I commented on that final, we were, were thinking he, he's good, but it'll be the end of the year. It was how quickly he got himself back into Grand Slam winning form. And he could be, once again, he could be unstoppable from what we've seen uh, th- those last couple of weeks at Wimbledon.
0: But part of the magic as well of of the grass court season isn't it so short? Of course, it's a shame in a way, isn't it? I mean, you played at Wimbledon yourself. It would be great to see more.
1: It's tricky because when you come into Wimbledon as a player for for the very first time, you don't have that big build up. It, it's been great in the last couple of years that they've added on that kind of extra week. But I think the fact that it is such a short season also makes the entire event so special because. You know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a little, little amount of time that, that you're there on the grass courts and you really savour every moment that you get out there.
0: One man who savoured every moment uh, and uh, certainly at Wimbledon and will be relishing getting back out on the, on the hard courts too is Kevin Anderson, runner-up of course at Wimbledon. Not surprisingly, ATP Uncovered honed in this week on the giant South African.
2: After an incredible fortnight in SW19, Kevin Anderson reflected on his Wimbledon final run, two weeks he'll never forget. Finding himself in a quarterfinal against one of the greats of the game, Anderson gave his all to make it to the final four.
3: Knowing I was walking onto the court with Roger, the first thing was to try and separate, you know, Roger Federer, the icon of our sport, and you know, another tennis player on that day. Coming back from Two Sets to Love, down against him, you know, was a great win for me, probably one of the best of my career, if not the best win I've had in my career. Of course, that put me through to the semis, playing John then. You know, John and I go back to our college days. Obviously, going into the fifth set, it was a bit of war of attrition at the end. You know, I really had to dig deep, and it was very emotional getting through that kind of match. You know, it put me through to the finals. After my semi-final match, I was definitely feeling it. When Young court for that length of time, you know, the feet take a bit of a beating. I woke up at 4.30 after only maybe sleeping for an hour and my feet were literally fell on fire. The sheets couldn't even touch my toes. And I told my wife, you need to go and call uh, my physio, Charlie, as he could see that there was a lot of inflammation in my feet. So he had to try and actually work it out. It's a job that requires all, all, all hours of the day, especially after that sort of match. But that's sort of what it sort of takes out of you, especially to get through some of these long matches.
2: Then came the final. After two five-set runs and epic tie breaks, the tall man was tired. But a final of Wimbledon is a special thing.
3: You try treat it like another day and you know I think I actually did an okay job with that. Getting ready for the finals of Wimbledon. You know, always going to be a special day. There's always going to be some nerves. I think that I was in the finals of US Open, you know, helped a little bit. You know, didn't get off to a great start unfortunately. Um, i started playing much much better in the third set would have loved to have that form you know early on in the match to give myself a chance it was unfortunately a little bit too late but you know all in all obviously there were so many positives to take from you know this whole fortnight. reaching top five for the first time is something that feels really good and in 2015 i broke through to the top 10 and the next goal was top five and even in our whatsapp group we relabeled it to t5k which was you know top five kevin and um, that's what that's the goal we were working towards and took a bit of a Roadblock in 2016, you know, I was pretty badly injured and my ranking went all the way down, but I kept that belief the whole time. It wasn't always easy, that's where I relied on the team. My wife's support was crucial in that period of time. And here I am, you know, in the last sort of 18 months, really have gone from 80 to now five in the world. So it's time to, you know, reset my goals. I believe I can, you know, get higher and that's something I'm really excited at doing.
0: Claire, such a hard worker deserves all the success he gets.
1: Well, and um, what a nice guy. I mean, the way in which he dealt with the semi-final win against Isner, you, you wouldn't have known that he had a won that match and just what he said in the press conference afterwards and dealing with the fact that these are such long matches and and then afterwards, obviously when he played and and lost the final, I I thought the fact that that he said in his in in, in the prize um, speech that he made reference to the fact that he hoped that in 15 or 20 years you know a young kid from his country south africa w- was going to be standing there uh, and was going to be inspired by by him making the final and he wanted that young kid to do better and to go on and win wimbledon but i mean w- incredible man but the tennis that he played the quality of his tennis from two sets to love down against federer in the quarterfinals and he was match point down Just seeing how he just dominated that fifth set and and he did off the ground federer was off the baseline slicing quite a lot couldn't really hit topspin couldn't dictate play at all you could see from his court positioning federer was behind the baseline whereas anderson was stepping right on up onto the baseline and the way that he was able to just keep producing that level of tennis under you know when he was serving second and he was always kind of serving to stay in the match it was so impressive that victory against federer but then the next day, just coming back out again two days later, and following that up um, against Isner and, and going going into that kind of match in the same way in the fifth set that he had against Federer, truly you know mentally and physically a remarkable performance. It was difficult for him in the final. He was so nervous, and you could see it from from the very way that he set up to serve in the very first point. He looked shaky with his feet, and the first serve kind of went pretty far out in terms of wide. He was nervous, and also physically, he would have been very, very tired.
0: Well, he was saying there that his feet literally felt like they were on fire. Yeah. Um, And presumably, that is such an important part of the body, would he be feeling, from, from a former player's perspective, presumably he's feeling like he can't totally trust his body at that stage?
1: It's so difficult to overcome. I'm, I'm Very few people, if anybody, have really had to deal with what he did in the build-up to that final. But physically, when you're not in the best shape and you're going into the very biggest match of your life against a guy who you know is going to return your serve better than anybody and is going to make you work, he's going to really punish you out there, those are pretty difficult things to, to have to deal with and not only that, but then you've got the expectation of, of, of a Wimbledon final and how you want to perform at, at your very, very best. Um, but he dealt with it in the best way he possibly could. And the third set of that match, he started to really relax and to feel comfortable out there. And it was a shame for him that he just couldn't take one of those set points and take that match into a fourth set.
0: And he's reached a career high I-, I want to ask you about that whether he can perhaps go any any further but, but first um he obviously played that gargantuan match against a gargantuan man another one in john mm. isner both having great late career bursts kind you know you have to say both products of the u.s collegiate system like yourself um what is that? And that came to the fore a little bit, as you'd expect, during the second week of Wimbledon. What is it that the collegiate system does in America to really help people on the way as an alternative route to the pros?
1: I always think for, for people that, that play, go to college in America, you get out of it what you put into it. And, and if you are desperate to become a professional tennis player, And maybe you're not mature enough in terms of mentally or physically and also you might not have the finances to go out there and and play on the tour the the college system is fantastic for you because you get the opportunity to play in a team environment you're surrounded not only by brilliant tennis players but also potentially world-class athletes so when i was at university i was at uc berkeley and um, the swimming program, for example, at Berkeley was incredible. in In the year 2000, the year that uh, one, my last year I was there, you know, three out of the s- the six guys that were in the, the top six in the Olympic 50 meter final, they were all at Berkeley. Gary Hall Jr. actually was only training there. Anthony Irvin uh, he won the gold medal. He was at Berkeley, and uh, uh, Bart Kizerowski, who finished sixth, they were they were all there. And you're you're surrounded by Olympians. Um, whilst in this kind of uh, impressive um, um, sporting environment, and that can only inspire you as well as any anything else. But um, it gives you time as well to develop as a person, um, and also to develop your game. Because, especially in the men's game, and you look at those two guys, Isner and Anderson, their games are dominated by big serves and coming to the coming into the net and playing big ground strokes. Now, that takes a little bit of, of time to develop, and. I think the college route for that, those particular guys was absolutely perfect because they just have that freedom to develop their game in a less pressurized environment. But also, on the other hand, when they come out of the college system and they've played so many matches, their level of performance, it's high that they can kind of bypass the, the smaller challenger level. Sometimes if you're a player and you spend too long in there, you can you can build up a bit of scar tissue and it's tricky to kind of get out of it so those guys had great success in college and then they were able to just move straight from there into the ATP tournaments which was perfect
0: do you enjoy it what did it do for your tennis game
1: i would do it again tomorrow if i had the opportunity to do it again i would i would do it it there was a lot of strength for me i was able to develop my tennis game i was also able to get a really good education at the same time but um I learned a lot about myself as well when I was when I was at college. I didn't know whether or not I was I was ready to be a professional tennis player at eighteen. I also didn't know if I was good enough to be a professional tennis player and when I graduated um and I'd won the NCAAs in doubles, I was desperate to go out there and play doubles and singles on the tour and I felt um I felt like I had the ability to be a, a top a top hundred player and it came from me. It didn't come from somebody else either. So after college, it was just a, it was something that I'd earned. I'd earned the opportunity to go out there and play on the tour, and I felt at that point that that I was ready for it.
0: Back to Anderson and Isner, both career high rankings <laughs> as of this week, fifth and eighth respectively. Do you, do you expect either of them to go any higher than that? I mean, can can either of them go better?
1: Um, well, Those are pretty pretty high rankings, and when you think about the players, you know that are, that are ahead of them. And you've got now Djokovic, who's kind of coming up, up up behind, who's going to be really pushing as well at that that U.S. Open. Um, it's going to be tricky to go to go further ahead than that. These are incredible rankings, but I don't see any reason why they don't go into the hard court season now and feel really confident. I mean, Anderson made the final last year of the U.S. Open. The way that he's hitting his ground strokes and the way that he's dominating and dictating with his serve. He's got to feel exceptionally confident. And has obviously made his first quarterfinal of a Grand Slam. He's playing better than ever. He's working harder than ever. He just seems so relaxed. And, and this is a great opportunity for them to kind of build on that success from Wimbledon.
0: Yeah, and John obviously won Miami earlier in the year. He's now going to attack the, the U.S. Open Series and uh, the hard court season. We'll talk about that shortly. But first... There's one more clay court 500 uh, in Hamburg uh, where a whole bunch of usual suspects are descending on the dirt. The star attraction will be Dominic Thiem playing in Hamburg for only the second time, the world number nine. Uncovered have also spent some time with him this week and found out something about his dreamy backhand that I, I must admit,
4: never knew. Thiem adding many hundreds if not thousands to his supporters club here Nadal is going for the drop shot team is scampering and he's got there he's gone cross court can Nadal get there he slices up the line team rips a winner cross court backhand
5: there it is again well, i have quite a lot of memories from back then i mean i didn't change from one day to another i think it was a process of, of a couple of months or maybe even half a year i mean I, I practiced already the one-handed backhand in the matches. I still played two-handed, so I mixed it up a little bit, and then slowly I changed to only one-handed backhand. And uh, it was was a tough uh, period, the first uh, weeks and months, and even one two years probably, because everybody was playing on my backhand, of course, and uh, I, I couldn't do that much damage anyway, and I did uh, way more mistakes than with the two-handed. So. Was tricky. Twelve years old, you you don't have any doubts. Probably you just wanna play tennis, and you're just dreaming of having a career. So I think it was a good age to switch. I had the wrong technique at the two-handed backhand, which I of course I cannot remember anymore. This was one reason, and then I think um, yeah for the type of player he wanted me to be.
2: gunter has got work to do. Uh,
5: the one-handed backhand is. Um, easier. You can uh, slice and you can do some more things than with the two-handed I guess and the, the player he saw in me when I was older or when I was 18, 19 when I come to the top I think uh, it suits more with a one-handed backhand. Team backhand is a thing of beauty. There were some moments when I didn't have good results when I was 14, 15 where sometimes I was wishing back my two-handed backhand of course but now of course I know that it was completely the right decision.
0: Claire, it's a, it's a thing of beauty the team backhand so much so that you'd almost have expected it always to be the same but it but it wasn't he was a double
1: hander. What's surprising whenever you look at the way that he sets up for his, for his for his backhand the way the racket goes up and then it goes down and the early preparation for it and the way that he just swings so sweetly through the ball. And he executes that line backhand to absolute perfection you'd be shocked to think that at one point that he had his left hand on the racket but it is it's probably one of the most beautiful shots in the game that backhand and and it can dominate play so effectively but also he can just bring in that slice with it as well which makes it even tougher to play against because he has that element of variation and that's a shot that i think is only going to get better for him
0: and I've asked a lot of people this same question, certainly coaches. If you're working with young players, are you just... My kids are learning tennis. They're both taught the double-hander. It's almost by default. Do you go straight to the double-hander as a coach for children? Or at what stage would you say, actually, you you can go with the single-hander?
1: I think the majority of coaches go for the double-hander. It's a natural thing. But I think if you have a player, a child in front of you... That's natural instinct is just to take that left hand off the racket and wants to play with with the single with the single handed backhand. You've got to have an element of allowing them to play to their own personality, to let them to be free. Because otherwise, if you're coaching a player too much at a young age, you're you're taking away their natural ability. So I would say as a as a coach. You can only slightly influence, but do, but don't be too much of a dictator when it comes to putting on the, 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 the second hand onto the racket.
0: But is it also with kids the fact that, you know, a lot of younger kids aren't necessarily, they're still fairly ambidextrous, so they do get a lot of strength coming through from
1: the left hand if they're right handed as well. It, would, would that sort of play into it as well? It's a big part of it. I mean, strength is, is such a big part of being able to play that that single handed backhand strength, your core strength, your wrist strength. Everything about it—it's so difficult with that single-handed backhand to be able to step into a ball which is moving at speed towards you, and being able then to change direction with into, on, down the line. And when you look at, you know, say an example of uh, Novak Djokovic, whenever he's hitting a double-handed backhand against the big left-handed forehand coming into him, he's able to with that with that left hand. Just have more control and more strength to be able to change it down the line
0: and to flip it around a bit on a similar you know similar note um if someone's out there listening to this and they've got a single hander and they dabble with a little bit of slice a little bit of that you know club recreational player is it ever too late to go to a double hander What, what would you say to them if they did want to try out the double hander
1: i would say go for it and it's the same way as if you are a double hander and want to try out and play with a single hand I I always think that and I always go to it that it's so important that you teach somebody a shot which matches their personality to an extent that that if you're a player and your natural instinct is to play a single-handed backhand then you've got to develop that and there's, there's nothing worse than seeing a tennis player whether it's a club player or even a professional player playing a shot which they don't really fully own and you think, ah, that doesn't really match them that well, that person should have a single-handed backhand. And you want to be able to create that as a coach. You want to be able to create um, and give give a player just the freedom to be able to make that, that choice that best suits them. Okay, well,
0: Philipp Kohlschreiber, another man with a single-handed backhand, of course, leads the German charge in Hamburg this week on home soil. But another German player, 11 years his junior at 23, has also been making headway this season. Let's hear from him.
6: Hi, I'm Max Marter and I'm from Nuremberg, Germany. My father was uh, the one who was playing tennis in our family. He took me to our club in, in Fürth. They hosted a Challenger also a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's, that's how I started tennis. I think in, in Australia I did, did much better being more calm in the deciding moments and that was also what helped me for the next couple of months now i'm staying a little more relaxed and that's i think for me the key fact that helps me winning some matches you know When I was in pre-season, I set my goal to win some tour matches and just do, doing some points on the ATP Tour, what was uh, like missing a little in the last couple of months. But now I think I'm, I'm ready to go for a little more, like now the next target is top 50 end of the year. Yeah. I'm a big football fan. I'm cheering for a smaller club in Germany who's so playing Bundesliga as TSG Hoffenheim. Roger was my idol. When I talked first to to Roger, I was finishing last match on a smaller court and he was also playing on center court against Shroff. just finished also late. Yeah, he congratulated me for, for my win and that was a nice moment for me.
0: Max Martyr there, um, 23 years old, setting himself the goal. He's actually broken into the top 50, setting himself the goal to stay there, I guess, by by the end of the year. Is, is that healthy for a young guy to be setting that kind of goal or would you want him to be looking higher?
1: Absolutely, to be setting goals. It's it's such an important aspect of the game and you've got to set goals, but also be willing to to look at them and re, re, readjust them and change them based on, on how you're doing. And sometimes you set a goal and you say, I want to be top 50 in the world in six months time but you do that you know within two months so you 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 have to kind of keep changing Uh, i think he's doing the right thing with that
0: those are the thoughts of claire curran with us on the atp tennis radio podcast remember you can let us know your thoughts at atp tennis radio on twitter Claire, Max mentioned Roger Federer as his idol. The same goes, I'm sure, for a lot of the guys around the same age as, uh, as Marterer. And Rob Curling met up recently with the world number two. 20-time
2: major champion and quarter-finalist at Wimbledon this year, Roger Federer is one of the greatest ever to pick up a tennis racket. We sat down with a Swiss maestro to discuss how to make it to the top.
7: I guess, for me, it took a while, you know. I grew up in a, in a town in Switzerland called Basel. I was born there, lived there until I was 14 years old. For me, it became more of a reality when I became number one junior in the world back in 98. And I remember hanging up a, a note on my door saying, like, if you want to knock, um, here's to number one junior in the world. I think this is really when the dream came alive that potentially I could achieve such a great thing like becoming world number one.
2: Backhand return from Nadal is... Lord! Federer has won his third title of the year at 35. This extraordinary career just gets better and better. He's beaten his great rival now for the 14th time in his career.
7: Eventually, Nadal came and he made life Hard for me and I had a hard time accepting that uh, it's gonna be he's gonna be my rival now for a while Uh, it wasn't a problem per se uh, but it took me a while to understand that actually I can draw a lot of energy out of it and actually it could really push me forward to actually improve my game one step further and then the same thing happened with Djokovic the same thing happened with Murray again and so forth so so I think actually rivalries are super important in the in sports I think it makes also the game more popular because alone you just can't carry a game I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, but I think you always need somebody who you're going to have a good rivalry with, and uh, for me, thank God I had them.
4: Federer serves, the cross-court backhand return. Federer pulls out the drop shot. Exquisite touch from Federer.
7: I mean, look, mental edge, I think, is so crucial uh, for an athlete. If you know that things are not going to go well... The mental side is always going to be there. There's a lot of things I did well when I was younger, but the hard working part and really believing that I could do it day in, day out, week in, week out, that I didn't have. So that's something I really had to work really hard at. And uh, over time, um, I was able to get that. And I see it's its a difference maker.
8: Drop shot Federer. Here comes Del Potro. It goes up. And it's not high enough for
1: Roger Federer. Break.
7: Yeah, I mean usually you're at your absolute best towards the end of the tournament because now you really uh, the sensation of the ball of the court of the speed of the crowd of the surroundings everything's so crystal clear that that's when you can play your best tennis um, and then obviously you have to get in the lead and you have to feel like now there's nothing that's gonna stop me anymore that feeling kicks in and you feel like, or for me anyway, it feels like everything's in slow-mo coming towards me, and you feel like for the opponent everything's going uh, super fast. Um, so that's when I feel uh, at times invincible. It's very rare, but it has happened in the past, and it's a, it's a beautiful feeling to have. I guess it's the ultimate feeling to have as a tennis player or as an athlete. The
0: off
1: to the that is it.
0: A
8: flawless performance from Roger Federer.
7: Well, greatness to me is probably you know when you find yourself in a moment in time um, at the top of the game for a long time and you can perform at the at the top you know in the very important moments and you know you can back yourself to do it again and again and again and i think it's also how you carry yourself off the court away from the on court you know hype that everybody knows but also it goes into your into your personal life maybe the media um, maybe charitable work i'm not sure you can show greatness all around your life. And uh, it's not easy to achieve and I'm still trying hard to get there.
0: Well, Claire, if if Roger hasn't achieved greatness yet, I'm not sure uh, when he does. Well, I want to see him play the day he does, goodness me.
1: I think the fact that he talks about greatness in so many aspects other than just tennis is what, what he's referring to really and and he's achieved greatness by, by dominating the game and I think what he talks about as well is the fact that when you are the very best in the world, that's whenever it, it really counts because it's difficult for some people to, to maintain that, to carry that that weight of expectation. But for Roger Federer and for Nadal and for Djokovic and for those players that have been great in the game, they've been able to carry that on. They've been able to deal with that expectation and still keep on improving and keep on on winning. But ultimately, he looks at greatness through a much bigger scope than just the tennis court and how he's doing his charity and everything outside tennis, how he is with his family and, and everything in it. And, and I guess that's what makes it really challenging as well. And it continues to keep making you push yourself on to be better and better and better. And it's fascinating hearing him talk about the
0: rivalries and, and, and we'll come to that. But also interesting to hear him say that he really had to work quite hard at the mental side of the game, something that you wouldn't necessarily think.
1: You don't think it and you can't see it. And, and when he's playing in, in these slams, it's the mental aspect of the game that, that, that he's really working on the, at the very, very hardest and highest level. Um, because his game is there, it's just making sure that, that he's staying focused on really key points. And, and it's it's very difficult to discuss it and to talk about it because you can't see it. It's actually going on, on inside him. But mentally, he has learned through time and with experience to be the very, very best performer in that aspect.
0: And presumably, he also derives a lot of confidence and mental strength from physically being pretty robust. I mean, I know that the back is famously, you know, not great first thing in the morning on a cold day, but um, while other players, you know, put their training sessions up on social media and really advertise what they do, his has always been shrouded in secrecy in a way, hasn't it? But he's obviously working
1: very hard. Well, if you're not fit, then mentally you're going to struggle. And for Federer, he's never really gone out there and told everybody about what, what he's doing, not just physically, but everything off court. Everything's remained very, very private. But for him to walk into a Grand Slam and to feel that he is ready to win it, then he needs to know that physically, mentally, everything is in place, and he's had that level of preparation that that's key to him. He's such an incredible mixture of success and
0: and self-assuredness mixed in with sort of humility and and modesty, really, isn't he? To, to talk about the rivals in the way he did is, is fascinating. To, you know, but he would have drawn, of
1: course, so much strength from those rivalries. Well, it's made him the player that he is today. And you think if you didn't have a Nadal there pushing him and the way that he pushed him through those the, the French Open to finally win the French Open, that must have been amazing for Roger, Roger Federer because... Rafa Nadal has dominated all on that surface so for him to find a way to finally get through and win it um, back in 2009 was an incredible feat. But the rivals and they're so different the ones that he's had they're, they're such contrasting rivals the way that Nadal plays the game to the way Djokovic and he's had to adapt his game to be able to deal with those players specifically I mean the way that he's been able to deal with the, the rivalry of him and Nadal he, he hasn't you know in the past when he, when he first came on and he was the best player in the world he could beat Nadal from the baseline and, and know that he was a better player than him from, from the baseline but when Nadal improved his level he, he couldn't beat him from there anymore so he had to find other ways to be able to 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 get through this guy and he you know worked on coming forward at certain times playing more from the net using that little variety bringing Nadal into the net and that's what's been so exciting for him and 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 if it wasn't if those guys weren't around well then Roger Federer wouldn't be the player that we see today
0: and as a pro did you ever experience that feeling he's describing where you're so in the moment and so totally in control that everything's happening in super slow because that just sounds amazing to me
1: i think that i had it once i i do i think i had it once that that i just felt like i was playing that nothing could go wrong you you everything all of your instincts everything just kind of takes over your your head feels kind of just free there's nothing in there you're just playing your racket touches everything and it goes for a winner and you just keep going because you don't want to stop and you don't want this moment to end but i think that's the thing that's so amazing about tennis is that you can play tennis for four six hours a day you can train as hard as you want you can play 50 matches in a year but you might only have one match like that in a year if you're lucky and and for some people you might only get it you know once in your entire career
0: well federer a surprise victim in the quarterfinals of wimbledon as we've heard but another top player was more than satisfied to reach the same stage.
2: Nishikori deep to the backhand of Djokovic, who gets that back. Now backhand, clean winner from Nishikori is one of the shots of the match.
9: I'm very happy that I'm back in shape again and playing good tennis again.
2: And I know it's
9: never easy after coming back injury.
2: Kei Nishikori struggled with injury at the end of 2017. A tough blow for the man from Japan, but with his fighting spirit, the start of 2018 saw him begin to move forward stronger.
9: I chose to play you know, two U.S. Uh, challenges and that was really close from my home, so I um, able to play two challenges and get some confidence, one-on-one challenger um, in uh, Daras.
2: Okay.
9: The Challenger Championship. I think it was a good move, gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah, I think able to play a couple of matches uh, before playing t- uh, 250 ATP to a level, I think it was a uh, good move for me. I kind of knew it's gonna come back, and um, I had a old little pain that you know it wasn't the same pain that I had last year. So you know I took almost two months without tennis and without moving. So I knew you know it was helping.
0: Backhand from Nishikori. Oh, exceptional! From Nishikori, big backhand down the line winner.
9: I wasn't expected to go in final yet playing Masters. Suddenly playing, you know, a couple matches against uh, top players, uh, Beldich and Dimi, you know, Sasha, Cilic. Yeah, that was game, you know, good momentum uh, going, you know, to beat top ten players. That was one of the special moments for me after coming back from injury.
2: As the grass court season emerged, Kay was cautious but excited for the challenge. As his quarter-final run at Wimbledon showed he was up to the task. I'm still
9: worried because, uh, you know, grass court, you, if you hit late, you know, uh, feels my wrist. So, you know, I got to, you know, be careful and I got to take care uh, every day. But I hope I can do well this year. I'm happy to be back uh, this stage again. And my goal is to to get
0: top ten as soon as possible. Kay talks about going down to the Challengers. Um, it's not something every player would do. Hats off to him in, in many ways because it's really paying dividends now.
1: Well, it is. And, and he started off, obviously, at the start of the year whenever he was playing. And he won Dallas, um, that that's challenger, at the start of the year. And that kind of kicked, kicked things off for him. But he's had such a difficult time with that wrist injury that it was a, it was a good thing for him to go down into that level, which we saw Agassi do quite a few years ago. He did the same thing. And it just gives you the opportunity to be able to test out your injury, in also in not such a you know ruthless kind of environment, um, so he, so he he got that opportunity to be able to do that. He he was able to build up some confidence, not just with his with physically confidence, mental confidence, but confidence that the wrist was able to hold off and to be able to play match after match, and then to come back and play again and to win again. And his performances uh, at Wimbledon, I mean, when he beat Nick Kyrgios, 16 minutes the first set took when he played Kyrgios. And it was the very first game Kyrgios was serving. In fact, Nishikori uh, chose to receive. So he wanted to take on the Kyrgios serve. Uh, And his reaction speeds onto some of those returns of serve were incredible. And he he won that game, really, in that very first game when he broke him. And then 16 minutes later, he had won won the first set with ease but he's starting to get his form back again and it's just now you continuing to build for him getting into the quarterfinals of Wimbledon playing through the the five set matches the four sets that he played against Djokovic were of high quality and going into the hard court season it's exciting for Nishikori
0: he's also so good on clay a very versatile game which do you think is his best surface
1: He's great on clay, but one of the difficulties, I think, for Nishikori on clay is just the physical aspect of it. That match is going to last longer and longer and longer. And and as the Grand Slam kind of goes on, that's been the big big question mark for Nishikori. I, I personally feel that his best surface is actually on the American hard courts. And
0: if his body holds out, which hopefully it will, do you see him back in the top
1: 10 and even the top five as he was? Definitely in the top 10. I mean, that's that, that to me, the level of tennis that he was playing at Wimbledon, um, I'd say definitely in the top ten. The top five, well, that's another story because you, you've also got some of these young guys you know, that, that, that are coming through and they're going to be challenging for, for that spot. But he doesn't have points, obviously, to defend for the rest of the year. It'll be interesting to see how he finishes the year. He'll be fresh as well. US swing will be important for him. And I think the first step will be to get himself back into the top 10 and then to see from there, is that possible?
0: We're going to hear from one of those younger players very shortly. But first of all, um, Kay's absence from the tour through injury was pretty much mirrored by another top player. Very similar standing, very similar ranking and a fellow Grand Slam finalist, now also battling back. The 19-year-old has
2: ousted Milos Raonic from the Matura
10: Madrid Open. The question for me isn't necessarily always, can I produce a tennis, it's will my body allow me to produce it on a match-to-match basis. Milos Raonic has always been an immense talent, but since his early career, he's
0: struggled with injury. In Indian Wells this year, Ryanich enlisted
10: the help of Goran Ivanisevic, and the partnership is working well in all areas. The best work we've done has been actually off the court, talking, discussing a lot of different things, especially with all this time that I haven't been necessarily on court, coming on tour, coming off. It's been good to have these kind of important discussions. So that way, when I do come and I'm able to play uh, matches uh, and a few tournaments consecutively, I feel like I'm sharp from the start.
7: Marin Cilic, I believe, and I hope that he's feeling good. He's also working with Goran, and I wish them all the best for their uh, partnership. And, and uh, hopefully, he's going to be producing great tennis, which would uh, definitely be great for tennis in general, for the fans, and obviously bring the competition uh, up much higher.
0: With success comes confidence, not only in ability, but in fitness. And it's clear for Milos that the longer he can remain healthy, then results will return.
10: That sort of process that I'm hoping takes place, that I am able to play many matches, that I am able to play many consecutive matches, consecutive tournaments, and play well during that time as well without any physical hindrance. And that I feel like I'm able to produce a very good level. So I hope that that is the case that follows through. And I think sort of the rest of the storyline will fit where I'll give, be giving myself some opportunities. There is a
0: roll from Milos Raonic. Again, he comes back from Love 30. Again, he holds serve. And he is one game away Raunic. from the semi-finals, leading by five games to four. James Messiard there with Milos Raonic. Um, and unlike Kay, I guess, big old frame, Milos is carrying around if it's mm. not quite firing on all cylinders. Um, he's made the last eight or better in his last seven tournaments. So looking up under Goran.
1: Well, yes, it is looking up. And, and Wimbledon, again, that was a good good performance for him. It's really tricky for a big guy whenever you're suffering from an injury because you've got to carry that around the court. And it's also tricky for the bigger players. And you could see it in Wimbledon with the, the, tall, the taller guys, the bigger guys. It's really difficult also to recover in your next match, because you've got obviously a lot, a lot more body to kind of get through and to, and to recover. But things are definitely looking up for him. I think the work that he's been, been doing with Goran has been, has been helping him out, and he's getting that consistency again. So with the in remaining injury-free, going through to the end of the, end of the year, his, his game is just now, he's just got to improve on a couple of little aspects, you know, in keeping the serve as consistent as dominant as it is, but. But the return game—that's going to be key for him—and just upgrading that level, going now through to the hardcore.
0: Talk about the top, the tall guys. I think it's now five of the world's top eight are six foot six or over. It's incredible how how the uh, the tall guys are really starting to to come into their own. Um, amazing names we've already heard from this week: Federer, Nishikori, Raonic, Team Anderson—all top ten players. And next, Rob Curling reports on a player who is surely destined for the same.
2: One headline during a special fortnight in Wimbledon was the fourth round run of next gen star Stefanos Tsitsipas, a breakthrough that was hard earned. I'm super
8: proud of myself to be in the fourth round of a Grand Slam, it's something I've been dreaming of my entire life and it's slowly happening. It's been a massive improvement in my game, I've been working very hard, you cannot replace this feeling.
4: A lob from Del Potro, Tsitsipas puts it away, fantastic tennis! set point down and that underlines the point we were making this guy has some metal about him.
8: I've experienced much more than I did in the past and I've played against uh, big guys uh, high in the rankings so these matches were very important for my development as a player. I'm super happy with the progress doing hard work at the Morata Lutens Academy we've been doing the job uh, I mean with my team very well we've been working the the right way and uh, I have a very good team around me so I I really trust them and they trust me so it's working really fluid and really nice in a very
2: unique nice way. Success brings the spotlight Stefanos doesn't mind one bit. It's a nice feeling it's obviously a nice feeling to
8: have all this attention and it all comes with the hard work and the right work and all the success so it's a a very very good um, transition from last year.
2: The brightest of futures lies ahead for Stefanos Tsitsipas.
0: Claire, the brightest of futures indeed, and I've interviewed him a few times and I'm always so impressed by Tsitsipas, just so mature and also, obviously, his game. How, how good is this this guy?
1: He's so exciting to play. Uh, he's a real performer out there. I saw a couple of his matches during Wimbledon 1 and particular on court 18 and the crowd he's just got them i mean i can only describe him as a performer he, he loves being out there the crowd warm to him and he gets totally kind of into it but he's got such an exciting game and again a single-handed kind of backhand um, but he's kind of got everything that, that goes with it but also he's mature in in his approach to to his development and, and where he wants to go from here uh, into the into the future, and I think that's probably the most important thing is that that he keeps perspective of that, and he and he keeps on developing his game. But definitely, his ambitions are high, and they should be because he's got an exciting brand of tennis.
0: Good, good backhand, as you say, also quite a good diving backhand volley,
1: <laughs> as we saw in Wimbledon. What a shot that was! Well, he's he's a great athlete. You know, he's got he's a great athlete, and he just plays instinctual te- instinctive tennis like that. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> that's a pretty impressive shot to hit.
0: He's decided not to play in Hamburg this week. He's resting instead before picking up for, for Washington. Um, scheduling and perhaps not playing more important for younger players?
1: Well, I think so. Um, I think that it's important that they're collecting a lot of experience, but having after that success at Wimbledon, just having just that, that opportunity to have a break and also to readjust his game to go on to the hard court season. that's, that's important. And if he goes from Wimbledon to Clay to the hardcourts, then you've got to make two surface changes. And, and that, that can be tricky. And, and he's going to be growing in confidence now and feeling that this hardcourt season is a good opportunity for him to continue to develop and then to keep on improving at Grand Slam level when it comes to the US Open. And what do you know of the Moratoglu Academy? Because it's obviously done wonders for him. Well, it has, and I think that the, the fact that so many players are training there at the moment and you get that opportunity to go there, to train, to be around other players as well and to bring your team into the Moritogli Academy, that, that's that been an important thing for him.
0: And in the case of, of Steph, I think they're also letting all of his family basically stay there too, which is, which is very nice of them. Finally this week, though, we hear from another youngster who, at the age of 21, is already... The world number three.
4: Sverev from the far end serves down the centre. The backhand return from Dominic Team fires long. And it's Sverev who sends the ball high up into the sky. He's come through the entire draw without dropping a set, without even having his serve broken, conceding a single break point. And Sverev has clinched his third Masters 1000 title at the age of just 21.
11: When you're playing at your best, tennis is easy. I want to win, I want to win the biggest tournaments in the world. I want to compete with the best players in the world. That's my aim. I think being impatient is a good thing. Being impatient makes you improve. Right now, I'm number three and the other two guys are ahead of me. So, figuring out ways to get better and figuring out ways to get there one day. To be the best player in the world, you got to play well on all surfaces. I've won two out of five tournaments. i played on play, so this is great and uh, I've made finals. I won the title of Madrid another Masters Series, so it was very good. It was upsetting how the clay court season ended. Ending it with an injury in a quarterfinals of a Grand Slam is not the way I had it pictured in my mind after a great clay court season like I did. But things happen now. It's about adjusting and playing your best again. I've been injured and I haven't practised a lot, so I will be a little bit patient with myself, but still uh, go out to the practice course and try to improve my game. So that's what I'm thinking about.
4: And won the title.
11: I've always been determined. I don't need extra motivation. I have enough of it myself.
0: Sasha Zverev-Claire, who, at the age of 21, has, a, looking at the numbers in top tournaments, has achieved more success already so far than Roger Federer had at the same age, than Andy Murray had at the same age. There's a fire burning deep within, isn't there?
1: Think we forget that he is only only 21 and obviously at number three in the world there's so much that's expected of him and he's and he's won the three master series tournament but it's very different grand slam tennis for him and and trying to tr- trying to be able to perform at that highest level over five sets for a two-week period that's a that's a new beast for him to have to kind of deal with and he's making steady steady progress obviously the quarterfinals um, at Roland Garris. it was difficult obviously with an injury but it was definitely progress even though I would say he wasn't playing his very best tennis to get there, he still found a way to navigate his way through some of some of the matches and Wimbledon again he didn't have that great preparation going into because because he had that injury and it was the fourth round uh, the third round sorry whenever he played Gullabus, that that maybe just physically it then becomes a little bit, it has become a little bit difficult for him but It's just a work in progress and and he's got great perspective on things and he's just trying to make those little steps. But the Grand Slams is the next level now for him.
0: And he's admitted he's impatient Mm. to to get on. Um, Which Grand Slam do you think he's most likely to break through on? Which is his best surface?
1: Well, I think he plays pretty well on most surfaces I, I wouldn't say it's going to be a specific one that, that he's going to that he's going to come through the kind of the, the first way but what I would say is that whenever whenever I watch him play in master series over three sets his game it, he really dominates the court with his big hitting shots and he's able to control that baseline as well he's able to step up on the baseline and by doing that he takes a lot of time away from from his opponents and he rushes them but in some of the the, the best of five-set matches that he's played through Grand Slams, he's been a little bit passive early on in in the early rounds in in, in matches, and 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 he's he's happy to stay in rallies for a longer period of time. So he's not showing his opponents those great strengths, those big weapons, those big shots that he hits that really takes that takes people off the court. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why. As the Grand Slam goes on, he just gets that little bit more fatigued because it's taking a lot more out of him. I don't think those are big problems for him to have to to come over, but physically he still has to kind of work on continuing to be stronger and then mentally being able to understand how to deal with those situations. So it's only a matter of time, but I couldn't tell you which one he's going to win first because I really think that he's got a game which suits all surfaces.
0: And Washington and Toronto... Both title defenses, a huge fortnight ahead for him. Really, when when it comes, are you going to be interested to see how he handles that?
1: I'm more interested to see how his game continues to develop, rather than than how well he does in those tournaments, because he, he can't control the level of play that the other guys that the other guys are kind of bringing at him. But, but what is going against him probably a little bit more is that now he's the player that everybody is wanting to beat because he is the defending champion. And that's going to mean that people are going to play a very high level when, when they play against him because they, they know they're going to have to. And he's got to deal with that. But obviously, if you think back to what Roger Federer was saying and in terms of being a great player... Greatness is being able to stay, be at the top of the game and to be able to handle that situations. And I think Zarev is in that category and that's his expectation that he has as well on on himself. So I'm not concerned about him dealing with the pressure of being a defending champion, but it's just more important for him now that he keeps working and developing his game going towards the US Open does seem destined for the, for the very top. I'm going to be really unfair
0: to you now as well, Claire. We're, we're obviously counting down to the next Grand Slam, the US Open. Who is carrying the greatest momentum? Who do you think will win the US Open?
1: Just one person. I always go with about 20. <laughs> um, there's so many players that I'm so excited about for the US Open, Del Potro. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of how he goes I'm looking forward to seeing Anderson and where he goes obviously Djokovic is back and I think Djokovic probably based on what I've just seen at Wimbledon and the fact that he's just won Wimbledon I think he's got to go, go in again as 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 the favorite going in, into the US Open but <laughs> obviously you can't underestimate the fact that Roger Federer is there and Nadal to mention a few
0: so you, you you're saying Djokovic. You're going with Djokovic. If you had to to pick one,
1: I'm saying Djokovic. Yes, is the favourite. But I'm really excited and looking forward to seeing Del Potro. Those
0: are the thoughts of Claire Curran. Claire, thank you very much for joining us this week. It's been great talking with you. Um, join us next week when we'll look back on Hamburg and ahead to the start of the US. Hardcourt series, including Sasha's two defences at the City Open in Washington and the Rogers Cup in Toronto. Also, of course, the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, all leading to Flushing Meadows and the US Open. If you're not already following us on Twitter, you can get all of our exclusive interviews from those tournaments at ATP Tennis Radio. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes. It only takes a few seconds and helps us climb our own world rankings. Enjoy the tennis See you next week.